here when he speaks of those who are asleep in the dust of the ground, just like in the New Testament, he's not describing the state of your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, or your spirit, the immaterial portion of man. Man is three parts. Paul says he's made up of body, soul, and spirit. He's describing your physical body. Your physical body is in the dust of the ground. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in the epilogue of the book of Revelation, looking at the final verses of the final chapter of the final book of the Bible. Today, Dr. Brogy begins a message titled, What Happens When Jesus Returns? And much of the study will be from the book of Daniel, which is sometimes called the Revelation of the Old Testament. Would you take God's word this morning and turn to the last book of the Bible, to the very last chapter in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. If this is your first Sunday, we have been working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the revelation of Christ that was given to the Apostle John. And as you're finding our passage, may I just say that some of the issues that are addressed in our text this morning are difficult. It would be easy for myself or really any preacher to talk himself out of preaching this message. This morning's text is not one of those happy messages. I'd much rather preach about joy or victory or the abundant life, and all those need to be preached. But we as pastors are to preach the whole counsel of God, and I'm convinced that a missing message in most churches is what I've titled this sermon, What Happens When Jesus Returns? And we want to address it from our passage because it speaks to what happens to both the believer and to the unbeliever. And I believe that one of the reasons there is so much apathy today in evangelical churches is that the average Christian knows he's saved and he's going to heaven. But what he doesn't really understand is that there is an accountability when he gets to heaven that he will have to give to Jesus. And one of the reasons there's so much hell in the world today is because there's so little of it in the pulpits. And so God's word is to be taught, not just that he is a God of love, but he is a God of wrath. And our message sounds the alarm for both the saved and the lost. One of the great motivations to share your faith, Paul said, for the love of Christ compels us, it controls us, it constrains us. But he also said, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But sadly, again, many Christians today take pleasure and comfort in the fact that they are saved. And what they don't understand are the implications on how they serve once they're saved, what those implications will be when they get to heaven. And so a faithful preacher is to teach the whole counsel of God, and that certainly includes repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. When Paul came to the end of his life, he said, I finished the course in my ministry, and he had finished it well. And I want to finish well, and I want each of us to finish well. And our passage will help us to see how we can do that. Revelation chapter 22. Many come every week for the first time. You've never needed to bring a Bible to church, and I get that. You need one here. It will be really helpful to you to have one. You'll get 50% more out of any sermon if you have a Bible in your lap. And if you don't have one, you come tonight at 5.30, and you'll get a nice Bible. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 10. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. 
Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Now remember, the chapter and verse divisions are artificial, and they can be distracting at times if you fail to see the flow of the narrative. When we came to verse 6 of this chapter, the tour of heaven that had started back in Revelation 21.9 that went through chapter 22 and verse 5 has ended. So when you come to verse 6 of chapter 22, you've entered into the epilogue of the book. It's the other bookend on the Revelation. We saw the first bookend in chapter 1 in the prologue that John gave, and now the final book end of John's vision, and really not just to the Revelation, but in one sense to the whole of Scripture, since this is the final words that God gave us. And we have here some words that are spoken by an angel, by the Apostle John, and by the Lord Jesus himself. And this exchange takes place between one of these angels who we saw holds one of the seven bowls of the wrath of God, and this final conversation as well that the Lord Jesus has with his beloved disciple named John. And as we read these verses, we're struck with the truth that all that John saw, each and every vision that John is given, all that he records is given to us so that we will respond. God didn't give you the revelation so you can make some prophecy chart. He gave you the revelation not to make us smarter sinners, but to make us, once we are saved, more like the Lord Jesus. And there are two responses that John underscores in our verses. There's a note-taking outline if you're new. There's a pen in the seat back pocket. First, I want us to see that Christ's return will settle who we will be. A day is coming when Jesus will come back, and when he returns, it will settle who we will be. Look again in verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now, John is commanded not to seal up this book, but he is to write it down so that you can read it, so that you can study it. And that's consistent with what we studied in Revelation 1.11, where John hears this loud voice from the throne of God that says, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And I find it interesting that what John is told to do is the exact opposite of what the prophet Daniel is called to do concerning his prophecy. John is told not to seal up the words of this prophecy, while Daniel is commanded to conceal, to seal up his prophecy. So to understand really much of what John is saying, we have to go back to Daniel. So take your Bible and turn to the book of Daniel. If you're new, Psalms are about dead center in your Bible, and scan to the right, and you will soon come to the book of Daniel. We studied Daniel before we did Revelation because they fit together like a hand in a glove. Daniel gives you the schematic for the whole book of Revelation. Go to Daniel chapter 12, and we want to focus on verse 4 of that chapter. But to understand verse 4, we need to understand its context. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. All right, it sounds like you have it. Follow along. Look at verse 1 of Daniel 12. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince 
who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. Michael, the great archangel, is pictured throughout the Bible as the protector of Israel. And Michael is mentioned four times in the scripture, and each time this archangel is mentioned, he is having some kind of an encounter, some kind of a battle with Satan himself. And so we're told here that Michael is the one who stands guard over the sons of your people. Now, since Daniel is a Jew, we can conclude that the sons of your people is a reference to the Hebrew people. Michael the archangel is guarding the nation of Israel, and a day is coming when he will arise. Now, we're not told specifically by the prophet Daniel what he's going to stand up and do. But God, if you remember, gave us divine commentary on this verse back in Revelation chapter 12. Let me just read that verse to you. Don't leave Daniel. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And we studied that war in detail. During the time of the great tribulation, there's going to be a war in heaven, a war between God's holy angels led by Michael against God's demons led by Satan, who is called the dragon. And the war will result literally in Satan and all of his fallen demons moving from the realm of the heavenly places where they will literally be physically on the earth. It's going to happen during the second half of the tribulation period. So with that in mind, let me read Daniel 12, 1 again. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Now, the specificity of that time is given through other scripture. Here's a chart just to refresh your memory. As you can see, right in the middle of this seven-year period called the time of Jacob's trouble, we call it often the Great Tribulation, though the second half is specifically greater in its force. But right in the middle of this seven-year period that Daniel spoke of in the ninth chapter, that the revelation as well divides into two halves, there's two key events that happen. One is called the abomination of desolation, and the other is this war in heaven that we just mentioned. The abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist goes into the temple of God and he says that he is God in human flesh. Now, if Jesus went into the temple of God and said he was God in human flesh, it would be totally appropriate because he is God in human flesh. But there is one who is coming who is going to mimic the Lord Jesus, who will come in the place of the Lord Jesus, who will claim to be God, and the Jews will know it is impossible that he could indeed be the Messiah because with that event, he will commit an act of idolatry and God's revelation would not contradict itself. There is a statue in the temple that will literally, physically, actually speak. And when this event happens right in the middle, literally, tribulation like the world has never seen is going to unfold. Jesus describing it, he said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And many believers will die during this period of time. But many of the Jews who are going to be pouring over the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25 will heed Christ's advice. How do I know? Because Revelation 12 tells us 
They will flee into the wilderness, and God will supernaturally protect them. And so what I've just described here for you takes place when Michael the archangel stands up, the abomination of desolation is happening on the earth, and in heaven there's a war. And when that event happens, the trumpet and bold judgments will unfold. Remember, we studied that. When they begin to unfold, there's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Just before the first trumpet sounds, people are able to see in the trumpets and in the bowls all the judgments that are going to come. Unlike the seven sealed judgments, they were unwrapped one at a time. But in the seven trumpets, you will have the seven bowls. And when they see what is about to follow in the next three and a half years, it just takes their breath away. There's silence in heaven. And so reading further into Daniel 12 and verse 1, and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. This will be an unprecedented time in Israel's history and really in world history. Uh, This is a time that Moses spoke of all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 4 and verse 30. When you are in distress... And all these things have come upon you in the latter days. Moses uses this term like the Old Testament prophets to describe that time right before Messiah rules and reigns and establishes his kingdom on the earth. In the latter times, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. So he's speaking of these latter days, this great time of distress, and God is going to use it to turn the Jewish people who for the most part are in total unbelief today concerning Jesus, they're going to believe in Jesus. Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7, alas, for that day, this tribulation day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress or trouble, but he will be saved from it. Listen to how the prophet Joel describes this time frame. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be again after it. And so concurrent with what God the Father revealed in the Old Testament God the Son consistently says in Matthew 24, 21, for then there will be a great tribulation. When the abomination of desolation takes place, he said, for then there will be great tribulation. It goes from tribulation to great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So Matthew 24 is a virtual quote from Daniel 12.1. And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Jesus, speaking of this unprecedented time, said this, and if those days had not been cut short, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will cut short. No one would physically be able to survive to be saved during this seven-year period had not God at some point put an end to it. And so Daniel speaks of those who will survive the tribulation here. And he said, and at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Now, the book that he is speaking of is mentioned throughout the Old and New Testaments. We often refer to it as the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. And in the book of life are the names of everyone 
who looks to God and the salvation that he has provided through the Lord Jesus. Now, if you put Daniel's statement together with other New Testament passages, we learn that when Jesus comes back, those who get saved during the Great Tribulation, those who survive will enter the coming kingdom. They will be saved for the kingdom. And we will see in a moment, those who die, they will be raised. And when they are raised, tribulation saints, so won't Old Testament saints be raised. Paul described that when the Lord comes back, it's going to be a time of great blessing, but it is also going to be a time of great horror. Listen to what he said in 2 Thessalonians 1. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, this is the visible return of Christ to the earth, what we call the second coming. What's he going to do? He's going to be dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among the all who have believed in our testimony to you was believed. So this time, just like Daniel says, for some will be a time of great blessing but for other people, a time of great horror. Let's read verse two. Again, as we set the context, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Daniel is describing that both believers and unbelievers who have died will be raised up from the dead. Now, he's not dealing so much with the timing of the event as he is dealing with the kind of resurrection. Just like Jesus in John 5, he says, an hour is coming when all will hear the voice of the Son of Man. Some will come to a resurrection of life, others to a resurrection of judgment. But God begins to unfold how the whole resurrection program will take place. But here when he speaks of those who are asleep in the dust of the ground, just like in the New Testament, he's not describing the state of your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, or your spirit. The immaterial portion of man. Man is three parts. Paul says he's made up of body, soul, and spirit. He's describing your physical body. Your physical body is in the dust of the ground. And Daniel is speaking of his people, Israel. All those saints who are asleep in the dust of the ground, not to mention unbelieving Jews and Gentiles who are asleep in the dust of the ground. And he says many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now, if you've been with us in our study of the, of the Revelation, we've learned that there's a resurrection program. One program is called the first resurrection. The other is describes the final resurrection that the scripture calls the second death. If you remember in the first resurrection program, as this chart reminds us, first, of course, the Lord Jesus is raised from the dead. He's the first one ever in all of human time to be resurrected. There were some people whom he raised from the dead. Elijah raised one, Elisha raised one, Paul raised one, uh, Peter raised one. One guy fell on a prophet's bones and he was raised. But only Jesus is the first to be resurrected from the dead. And immediately after his resurrection, the first resurrection program unfolds. As Matthew 27, 52, and 53 tells us, there's a handful of Old Testament saints after Jesus is raised who are in turn also resurrected. 
And this is in keeping with a prophecy, with a feast that God gave, the Feast of First Fruits, where a single stalk is presented to the priest, representative of Messiah, who's the first to be raised, and then a handful. And there's a handful of Old Testament saints. The resurrection program will continue at the rapture. That's stage two. And so 1 Thessalonians 4 says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will come out of the grave first. He'll bring back with him, Paul says, those who have fallen asleep. He'll bring their spirits back from heaven because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he'll reconnect the person inside, the real you, with the body that's asleep in the dust of the ground. But stage three is seven plus years later when all the resurrection and tribulation saints are raised. So all the Old Testament saints, they're raised up at the end of the tribulation, along with all those people who find Jesus during this seven-year period, people who have never heard the gospel before. And Revelation 20 and verse 4 says they are raised up, people who are beheaded for their faith. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So here, Jews and Gentiles alike, who die in the time of distress, they will be raised up during this time. Now, Daniel does not give us again the timing of all of the resurrections, but he's basically saying when you take all the air out of the balloon, there's two kinds a resurrection of great blessing, everlasting contempt for the rest. And of course, those two resurrection programs we've already learned is separated by a thousand years. And so in Revelation 20 in verse five, we're told the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Verse four, this is the first resurrection, but the rest of the dead, they don't come to life until the thousand years are completed. And then the lost of all time are raised up to be judged. So the rest of the dead is in this second group, and they will meet disgrace in everlasting contempt. Now look at verse 3. My point that I want to make concerning Revelation 22 is uh, related to verse 4, but we've got to set the context. So be patient. Look at verse 3. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So Daniel addresses now two groups of believers who are rewarded for their faithfulness during this horrible time that's called the time of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation period. He speaks first of those who have insight, and he says they will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And this is a reference to those who faithfully teach and practice and live out the Bible, the Word of God. And Daniel, the prophet, uses this phrase on two occasions to describe those who are faithful to the Word of God. That's how he defines this phrase, those who have insight. In Daniel eleven thirty three, he says, those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. And let me say, while Daniel is speaking about his people, Jews, during the tribulation, who have understanding, who will faithfully preach the Word of God, by application, the rest of the New Testament applies this today to any believer in the church age. And so, a dad who sits around his table in the evening 
and he isn't teaching and instructing his kids the scripture or as he works with his child and he says, you know, we're to do our work, son, as unto the Lord. And you want to do this job, Paul said, like you were serving the Lord Jesus because someday he'll evaluate your work as a believer in Jesus. A mom who is in the home and raising her children, and as she walks in the way, as she rises up, as she lays down, she's teaching her children the scripture. You could apply this to someone who works with our children in Sunday school or upward sports or a wana or in an adult Bible fellowship. It's the great commission. Do you remember what Jesus said? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. He doesn't say do discipleship. This verse for the last 50 years has been an escape clause for many who want to lead Bible studies but not really faithfully share their faith. He's talking contextually about the believer who faithfully, whatever his gifts may be, they do the work of an evangelist. They make disciples. They make converts of all nations. What do you do with new believers? You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's why in the parallel account, Jesus says, believe and then be baptized. Baptism always follows your becoming a believer, a disciple. And then what do you do? You teach them to observe all that I commanded you. So this is a command that Christ gives to the whole church because there's a promise attached to it that he'll be with us all the way to the end of the age. And so those who faithfully teach by word and by deed God's word are going to receive a reward. But then Daniel mentions in the second half of verse 3 another basis in which God will hand out rewards to faithful. Notice, and, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. These are people who attempt to share the good news, who attempt to win people to Christ. Now, some of you will sow seed, but the fact that you're sowing seed, God uses his seed. Now, if you sow just a little seed out in your lawn this week, you'll just get a few sprouts of grass. But if you sow a lot of seed, a lot of grass will catch. And if you show, sow a lot of evangelistic seed, you'll see sooner or later some people that will come to Christ. You'll either see them come to Christ through the seed that you've planted, or you might even harvest the seed. And with all my heart, I believe that if you faithfully Month after month, year after year, share your faith. You will eventually see someone through your personal witness bow their head and receive Jesus as Lord. And so in both these groups, those who teach and those who win people to Christ, notice they're compared to the expanse and the stars. They will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness. The brightness of the sky above, the stars, they're often depicted in Scripture of someone who is rewarded with a high position, who is given greater responsibility. And we learned already that during the reign of the Messiah, when he reigns on the earth for a thousand years, not to mention in the eternal state, there will be degrees of reward. As the prophet Daniel indicated, and as is affirmed in the Revelation, there will be rewards given by God to many of his saints. And tomorrow we'll look at those rewards and the varying degrees of rewards as we continue our message, What Happens When Jesus Returns? To listen to this or any of the messages from our study of the Revelation, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV69. 
Search the Scriptures is committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to those who don't know Him and to growing believers in their walk with Him. If you can help support this ministry with a one-time gift or by becoming a regular supporter, what we call our Foundation Partners, click the Give button in the Search the Scriptures app or at our website, searchthescriptures.org, or call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we continue our look at what happens when Jesus returns. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.